You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. And for all you special guests out there, welcome into the swap episode of Locked On Gators presented by Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. And what's it like to go into the depths of the Gators' mouth? we got two very special guests joining the podcast today to talk all things Florida as they travel from the swamp all the way to College Station to take on the likes of the one and one Texas A&M Aggies. Before we begin, make sure that you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show, and I love public feedback. Anything you do to help make this a more quality-sounding podcast every single day Every single day is now a Locked on Aggies podcast day. Give me a follow at Mr. Cole Thompson so I can definitely get your thoughts involved in the show. And secondly, Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th Man related content found here on LOP. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify. And if you can't do any of that, listen every single day. Every single day is a Locked on Podcast day here at LockedOnPodcast.com. Well, as I said, we have a very special crossover episode. And for all you fans of the Locked On Gators podcast, don't worry. It is back, and it is stronger than ever. I can vouch for both these two knuckleheads. They know their stuff. They know their sports. Ladies and gentlemen, the brand-new host of Locked On Gators in their first crossover episode. Guys, give it up for Zach Goodall and Demetrius Harvey. Guys, what is going on? I'll tell you what, man. I am super stoked to be back as is, and now after that intro, I could run through a brick wall. I'm excited. That was crazy. I'm I'm ready to roll <laughs> for sure. I appreciate I'm you for you obviously having us on. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm glad that I can be on your show too. I'm glad we can help build this up. You know, once again, Zach knows this from our days covering the SEC. We are a close knit family, and we pretty much tell everyone else go to hell because we just like each other way better than any of y'all. So, exactly, man. No one was there in mobile with us. Nobody was there. It's Mobile, get it right, man. Gosh, Whatever, man. Come on. You, Come on. I can't take you anywhere, you child. Anyways, that not the point of the story. Back to the main point of the story. We have a game this upcoming weekend. We have a game tomorrow, in fact, for Texas A&M versus the likes of Florida. Florida is sitting at 2-0. They're sitting as a top four team in the nation. Some would say they are a top three team in the nation. But you also got to look at Texas A&M. Every single year they come in hype, but we have seen – so much success from the likes of Jimbo Fisher. Just what are your overall thoughts from what you've seen thus far from an AM team that is sitting at one and one, but has still been, I think, one of those unkept secrets of the SEC? It's going to be interesting to see what, what they can do. You know, um, it, it, it's funny, both Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham and Brian Johnson, the, the offensive coordinator. It, they all seem to think that this is the mo- the toughest opponent that Florida is going to go against, and they're right. I mean, if you look at it, week one they played Ole Miss. You know, they're a whole new coaching staff with Lane Kiffin. Yeah, they're an explosive offense and everything, but they're brand new. The defense isn't that great. South Carolina, everybody's a fan of Will Muschamp, so you know they kind of go through those kind of phases, and now they're actually playing a you know quote unquote legitimate. SEC team, I feel like this is going to be the toughest challenge for the Gators. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what happened last week. It's all that matters what happens this week. 
Yeah, I'm with Demetrius. Uh, Todd Grantham was talking about Kellen Mond specifically, who's been there at Texas A&M for some time. Uh, and they've just gave a lot of credit to Jimbo Fisher and the coaching staff that they've seen a lot of growth out of him over the years, especially since Mississippi State, when Todd Grantham was there uh, when they last played him in 2017. Uh, that's go- That's going to be the test this week. I mean, we've seen Florida so far, you know, have their struggles against both quarterbacks that they've faced in different ways. Matt Corral was a bit more mobile. He was able to go out of the pocket and make things happen with a big arm of his. So Florida allowed 600 yards to Ole Miss. I'm not predicting the same thing with Texas A&M, but I do think that Kellen Mond is capable of putting up a bit more than what Colin Hill did in South Carolina's, for lack of a better word, boring offense. Yeah, I would. I tend to agree, but you also got to think about this for a second. Kellen Mond, who is a veteran quarterback, he's been in the SEC for a while. Feels like he's been there forever, for really being honest when we talk about it. But he threw for 351 yards against Alabama. And this is an Alabama secondary that is returning several starters. This is an Alabama secondary that really only lost Xavier McKinney. They had their least amount of losses, I think, in the last four or five years on the defensive side of the ball this past, you know, this past offseason. So for him to be able to do that, I think says a lot. Just from what you guys have seen on film, just in, in basic general, Zach, I'll start with you, mainly because if you've been watching a lot of defense recently, what have you seen about his dual threat ability that makes him different than Matt Coral? But what have you seen from his arm that also makes him, I think, right up there in arm strength with the likes of Kyle Trask? Well, that's something that I'm thinking Florida can struggle with. I mean, like we saw uh, with a dual threat kind of guy in Matt Corral at Ole Miss, like Florida, they seem lost, especially at linebacker. Ventro Miller has truly been the guy in the middle that's been pretty sound, but we saw struggles out of Amari Bernie. He came out and talked to us uh, with the press on Monday, and he was extremely honest that he just hasn't been living up to the standard of play that he needs to. We've also seen struggles uh, at the star nickel corner position. You wouldn't think so because they've got Marco Wilson typically playing there. They've got him shadowing what both teams have considered their number one receiver and Elijah Moore and Shai Smith, but he's not been doing that great. He's been lost a good bit, kind of like Bernie. So that's probably going to be the most important part of this game is how Mon can take advantage of those intermediate throws against what's really been a pretty suspect second level of Florida's defense and coverage. Now, D, for you, let me just get your opinion on this. You've seen what Kellen Mond can do, especially on the run, but with limited wide receivers this upcoming year, I mean, they lost Jamon Osmond. He's working with a bunch of freshman sophomores who really aren't, haven't been around. Does that as a defense make you feel a little bit more confident, even though you just saw him throw for over 300 passing yards? Yeah. I mean, if, if you're, if you're Todd Grantham, you have to consider the fact that your secondary has been struggling and no one, no one can, uh, no one can question that. I mean, plain and simple, they haven't been able to put up to the task. It, it, it doesn't seem to necessarily matter whether or not a guy has a star receiver on his side or whether or not he's just elite athleticism or things of that nature. It, it seems as though whoever's throwing the football back there is going to complete a pass. So especially with a guy like Kellen Mond, they're going to have to really play tight. It doesn't matter who who the receivers are. It could be Jalen. It could be Chase Lane. It could be any of those guys. As long as they get open and Kellen Mond's able to move around in the pocket without any pressure getting on him, then he could have success. And I think that that's one of the biggest issues that Florida has been having this year. They haven't been able to get consistent enough pressure on the quarterback. It doesn't matter if they're a rushing quarterback or or, or a pocket passer. They just haven't been able to get there. And so Todd Grantham's going to maybe have to play a little bit more contained, play a bit, little bit more conservative, which is antithesis of what he would normally do. But it could be the only way to stop a guy like him from getting his 
getting to his go-to receivers. One of the biggest things about Florida is they may rank in the top five when it comes to offense in the SEC, but they rank in the bottom five when it comes to pass defense going into week four, or I guess really week six, depending on how you look at the season in the SEC. We got Demetrius Harvey and Zach Goodall from Locked On Gators right here on the podcast today. Zach, you mentioned a name that I actually was really high on going into the year, and that's Marco Wilson. And this is a player who has done his part as part of DBU, playing in the nickel formation. Do you think just because if he's playing a little bit more boundary, he's he's not playing his natural position, that's attributed to some of his struggles we've seen early on in the first two games? Goes back and forth, because he also played nickel last year, and there were times where he really stepped it up. And not only you know, is his play hit or miss there, but... Things generally help when he's playing the nickel because he gets to communicate a lot more between the second and third levels of the defense. And they appreciate that being, like you said, he's been there a while. He's proven himself the whole nine yards. Um, I like him more, you know, going towards the strong side of a formation where he's got a nickel helping him, but he's playing the outside. He's a physical guy that I think is capable of pressing, but they haven't been using him pressing much in the nickel formation. And that led to small chunk plays in critical situations like, I believe it was a fourth down in the red zone where that he gave up on a slant to Shai Smith last week. It was just a perfect example of him potentially being misused. Maybe he's not comfortable pressing from a position like that, but he just seems to have it all together when he's playing outside compared to star. You see a lot of flashes. He, he made some nice plays this past week, but it just doesn't seem as natural, you know? And of course, everything does change that way. But one thing I can say is even though they have not been able to generate a pass rush, the Gators actually have two players in the top 10 in sacks going into Saturday's game and also top 10 players in tackles with Zachary Carter on the defensive line and Bretton Cox Jr., the linebacker, Zach. Just basic quick summary, what have you seen from these two that allows them to make the most of their pressures? Because even though there's not a lot of pressure going against Colin Hill, there's not a lot of pressure going against Matt Corral, when the pressure is there, it seems like they're coming away with big-time stops. Well, you know what me and Demetrius were both talking about just last night when we were watching tape is that every time they blitz, it's effective. Why aren't they doing it more? It, it, we've seen Zach Carter come very close to making big plays, but he just doesn't have the help around him to finish things up. He's a penetrating three technique who I do like on the edge, especially against the run. And I think that a guy like Isaiah Spiller could have a nice bounce-back game this week in the run game because Florida has – practically no edge defense against the run so far. It's been pretty bad. They could use a guy like Zach Carter, who's 6'4", 290, to anchor the strong side. But he's been going in and out. He plays a lot of three technique. He creates a lot of pressure for guys like Chris Bogle, like Ventrell Miller, like Brenton Cox to finish plays in the backfield. Brenton Cox, he's still putting it together. He seems to like to pass rush always, even when it's not a pass rushing down necessarily. He's just an athletic freak. He's a very, very strong athlete. He's a guy that once he has it all together can be very dangerous, and we've seen it in glimpses. It just needs to come on a more consistent basis. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that you got to look at overall is when the Gators do get their hands on the quarterback or on the ball, it always seems to be in their favor. They lead the SEC in sack yards and in pass deflections. we got Demetrius Harvey and Zach Goodall from Locked On Gators on this very special crossover episode, part of the Locked On Podcast Network of Locked On Aggies and Locked On Gators. Now, Demetrius, Zach, let me get your opinion on something. You guys have long days ahead. I have long days ahead. More importantly, on game days, it's a super long day. So 
What do you usually reach for? Probably at the middle of the day, an energy drink, an energy bar, maybe even a five-hour energy. Why don't you, like our listeners, stop that? And whether you are mentally or physically trying to break through the wall, go with, do it with a built Go. Now, Built Go is made by the same company that has made Built Bar, one of the fabulous products we sponsor here on Lockdown Podcast Network, but it's a lot smaller. It's only 1.5 ounces, so you can put it in your bag. You can put it in your game day bag. If you want to go play a front nine in the front half of your day, go put it in there because it gives you the same type of energy like a five-hour energy would without the same crash feeling, so it's actually better for your body. That's because Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein. Now, collagen protein is a fast absorbing so it gets into your system a lot faster than any monster energy drink would plus it's easy on the stomach it's loaded with good stuff that helps you work like beta alkaline b3 honey and just enough of a kick of caffeine plus they come in three delicious flavors including peanut butter honey chocolate coconut and chocolate mint i've tried it i know zach and demetrius have tried it and when you try it Go visit built bar. Uh, go visit builtgo.com and use the promo code locked to get thirty dollars off your next order. Use the promo code locked for thirty percent off at builtgo.com. We all have busy Saturdays, so why don't we start doing it with built go from builtgo.com? Let's go. Locked on Aggies and Locked on Gators presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M, especially today talking all things Florida. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love quality podcasts running your favorite sports team? If so, why not listen to a Locked on Podcast? Locked on Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports shows, plus every team covered in the NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, and highlight information to get you geared up and win your fantasy football league. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day. Every single day is a Locked On Podcast day here at LockedOnPodcast.com. We're talking to Zach Goodall and Demetrius Harvey from Locked On Gators. They also are from All Gators, part of Sports Illustrated. Demetrius, you've been a little quiet because I have offensive questions for you. Why don't we gear this up to your liking? We're going to talk about both Kyles. But the biggest Kyle of all that I despise going into this game besides my brother because of I share a birthday with him is Kyle Trask who is a Houston native fun fact I just found out earlier this week he was named after Kyle Field which is kind of a cool story his family is all Aggie fans but at the same time he's at Florida and in my opinion he's the Heisman front runner at this point for what he's done in two short games because it's not his fault that the defense is struggling he's in fact the reason I think you're seeing so much success from Florida being ranked in the top half, top five teams consistently, I would say, right now, if not the top third team right behind Clemson and Alabama. They're definitely in that top five, no doubt. What have you seen in transition from last year coming in as a quality guy, but definitely had his struggles, to now, I think, with a lot of people right up there in conversation when we're talking about the Heisman Trophy? Yeah, it, it, it's actually really stunning to me, at least, because, you know, coming in from as an outsider's perspective, um, last year I obviously wasn't covering the Gators. So I kind of just casually watched Kyle Trask, and, and and from what I saw, I was thinking, you know, this guy's okay. He's he's a good game manager. Dan Mullen can make a quarterback look good in whatever offense he's going to run every single year. That's just what he does. Coming into this year, for the past two games at least, I've seen a completely different Kyle Trask. It, it, it's almost as if he's evolved into the player that Dan Mullen has always wanted him to be. And you can see that in the fact that he's thrown 10 touchdowns already. He had the 400-yard game in week one. He had the 200-and-something-yard game last week, four touchdowns. It's just 
it's an interesting change, especially when you consider all the pieces that they lost last year. They lost four NFL caliber wide receivers. All four players are in the NFL right now, either on a practice squad or on a 53-man roster. So it's just really interesting to see his transition and how he's able to take his leadership to the next level and play with these guys that sort of, you know, they were around Kadarius Toney, Trayvon Grimes. They were around, but they weren't the go-to guys, and he's able to elevate their games to new heights, it seems. And I, I think that Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson, the whole offensive coaching staff at Florida, are really excited with what they got. This is a guy who ranks in the top five on every single SEC category in passing yards, in touchdowns, in yards per throw, in completion percentage. I mean, the, the numbers just are off the roof. And I think here's why you call someone a game manager when they're not a game manager, you're going to get really pissed off really quick. One thing that I've noticed, though, more specifically about Trask is even though he goes to his go-to weapon, who I don't want to say yet, but everyone knows who it is, he does spread the ball out consistently. Just, just what have you seen – from those receivers, because, I mean, he did lose Van Jefferson. He didn't lose Tyree Cleveland, two guys who were known for their speed, known as vertical threats, known for their ability to make defenders miss in the open field. What have you seen from the younger guys, from the new wide receiver core that really helps make Trask a better quarterback than what I think? Not to say that he's not a bad quarterback, but he definitely is elevating his stat line this year that I think a lot of other people would have expected. Yeah, and he, he lost those two. And then also, we got to mention Freddie Swain. You got to mention Josh Hammond. Losing those guys were his sure handed slot sort of wide receivers that were going to be, you know, relied on every single down. Now he's throwing to a guy like Kadarius Tony, who's honestly, he's probably one of the most impressive players on their offense right now. He's taken his game to a new height 15 receptions, 196 yards, a couple touchdowns. Um, everybody saw that 50-yard touchdown he had last week where he just made five defenders just look like they were silly, you know, as if they were playing in high school still. So it's just one of those things where he's been able to rely on these new guys because he's so comfortable within this offense. I think that having those 10 games or however many games he played last year under his belt has really elevated his game to to a new height. You know, the, he came in without having an offseason, didn't have spring, barely had a fall. But he's able to take these guys, Trent Whittemore, Jacob Copeland, Justin Shorter, uh, Trayvon Grimes is still there. And then obviously the other Kyle, uh, we'll, we'll probably talk about him soon. But just look at all these guys who have been able to come in, step right in, and it seems like they haven't even missed a beat. Zach, I don't want to leave you out in here. So let me just go with this guy. Trayvon Grimes is a name that I remember hearing about. And he only has five, you know, he only has five catches on the air. But they're for 90 yards. He's averaging a team high 18 yards per catch, and he has two touchdowns. I mean, what have you seen from him that makes him a dangerous weapon in the open field? Well, that's exactly what he is, a dangerous weapon in the open field. It goes back to last year. <clears throat> Even though they had you know, a pretty stacked receiver core and a lot of veterans ahead of him, I did think he was a guy that should have commanded more touches. I think he finished the year with 33 receptions, 491 yards. 23 of those receptions ended up turning into first downs. That's just what he does. He can make things happen after the catch, even for such a big body. He ran a 4.47 when he was in high school at 6'5", 214 pounds. So he's a guy that you get him the ball and he can be electric. He's talked about trying to learn how to be small from Kadarius Tony because they're close friends. The issue is sometimes when you get him the ball, he just doesn't hold on to it. It's something that's gone back to last year. He has had some drop issues. They're not substantial. He doesn't make a ton of drops and he hasn't had a ton of crucial drops, but he has had, I believe two this season, one that was a pretty contested ball in the end zone, 
Another one that was just flat out dropped uh, that he should have had. There was no real excuse for it. So, you know, you get him the ball in space and he can do things that you wouldn't expect such a big receiver to do. And obviously he can contest catches at the boundary. We've seen it before. There just needs to be a little bit more consistency. And with so many guys around him, if he's going to have those issues, you can understand why the ball would continue to be sped around rather than force fed. A name I cannot wait to see improve as a pass catcher is freshman Trent Whittemore. What you've seen from him, five catches, 56 yards, a touchdown. He's going to be a star in the making, I think, for this Gators offense. But, of course, there is a star, and it's because of literally you can't go anywhere else right now because it's Kyle Pitts. I have never seen a tight end do what this kid is doing right now. And I think it's because Dan Mullen understands what the NFL is looking for, which is why we're talking about a guy who is going to be a finalist for the John Mackey Award, who is going to be a top 15 potential pick, who is going to tear up Indianapolis and eventually find himself guaranteed locked at the tight end position in the first round of the 2021 NFL draft, making some NFL team very happy with this pick. For both of you, let's just start with you, Demetrius. Is Pitts' production based off of just a go-to target that is that bond built with Trask, or is this just pure talent beating the likes of weaker defenders? It's absolutely a mix of both. And I know that's sort of a cop-out answer, but it really is. It, it, it's one of those things where Kyle to Kyle has become a, a, a mainstay over in Gainesville. You know, it, it, it's, as, it's as if they didn't take a day off during the offseason. From, from the Orange Bowl to now, it seemed as if they were throwing the football to each other and, and catching the football from each other for, for months. And I think that that's just a credit to – how much chemistry and, and how much work that they've individually and both as a team have put in to, to each other. And you can see it. I mean, this guy, like you said, he, he's just incredible. I mean, I haven't seen a tight end move like this in college in, in a very long time in terms of his size, his speed, his athleticism, and just his pure uh, – just everything about him. His, he can catch everywhere. He can, his catch rate is off the chart. Uh, it's almost as if when he doesn't make one of those spectacular one-handed catches or a big back shoulder uh, catch, it just seems as though that would be a surprise at this point. And so Kyle Pitts is probably one of the best tight ends that I've ever seen uh, at Florida, and that includes all the other ones, Aaron Hernandez, everybody like that. It, it, it's just one of those things where you, I guess, I guess we'll see where he can get to, but People are saying that the the John Mackey Award. I mean, shoot, he he could be a tied tied for the uh, Blitnikoff Award. You never know. You really don't. I mean, we got Zach uh, Zach Goodall and Demetrius Harvey from Lockdown Gators joining the podcast. One thing that I will say about Kyle Pitts more than anything else is that he's built to what the NFL is transitioning the tight end into. More importantly than not, and that's a lot of credit to Dan Mullen what he's done, Zach. When you look at Pitts just in general and just the state of Florida, I mean, because you're a native Floridian, you've seen it for your entire life. The tight end position in that state just seems to go off the wall, and it's been that way since the start of the uh, start of the century with Jeremy Shockey to the likes of Greg Olson to Hunter freaking Bryant at Florida Atlantic last year. I mean, literally, it just seems like the state of Florida – is made for freaking tight ends. Demetrius is smiling so much on this call right now that you mentioned Hunter Bryant. That's my guy. That is your guy, man. Yeah, but dude, Kyle Pitts, you know, comes in at the top of the list, bar none. Like he's just, I think you said it perfectly. He is built for what the NFL is looking for. He is 
a receiver playing tight end at the end of the day. And that's not a discredit because I think he is a more than capable, damn good tight end for the matter. And he's improved as a blocker. He's not perfect, but the willingness is there. The aggression is there and the technique is getting better. So when it's all said and done, you know, you deal with the bumps there because you know that he can be one of the most special pass catchers of all time at the position. He's swift. He's swift in his route running. I mean, he's got his footwork down. He knows how to be physical at the top of his route breaks uh, through the vertical stem. He just he, he knows how to deceive safeties. He knows how to get them to work out like you wouldn't expect a 6'6", 240-pound dude to throw a jab step and almost break a dude's ankles. But Kyle Pitts is more than capable of that in order for him to run his favorite post route to the middle of the field. He can run plenty of routes, but even though everyone and their mother knows that that's his favorite route, no one can stop it. And again, if you can't stop Kyle Pitts, you're in for a big day. We had Graham Marsh on the show earlier this week. He was talking a lot about how when it comes down to it, if you need to cover Kyle Pitts in double coverage, all that does is it opens up another hole for one of these wide receivers to break free. Real fast before we move on to our next segment, let's talk about the offensive line. They've only allowed three sacks on the year, and they're facing an A&M team that ranks 12th in sacks, and they only have had three, all three coming from Michael Clemens. What have you seen from this offensive line, even though they've lost a few players in the last two years, they've still seemed like a very solid unit protecting their quarterback week in and week out. I'd say it's I'd say it's been a much improved unit. The running game itself, you know, it's gotten more efficient. It's not perfect yet because I don't think they're utilizing it enough. Uh, but it's it certainly looks way better. They're not having these negative yardage runs like they were having a year ago. Damian Pierce looks super efficient going for nearly six yards per carry. But you nailed it. They're, they're a pass-happy team. They want to throw the ball. They're going to take advantage of it. They want to do both, but they know that their strength is passing the ball, so they're going to do it. They've said it as much. They're going to go with what's working. And this line was already pretty good in pass protection last year, but it does seem like Kyle Trask has been clean pretty much the entire step of the way. Stuart Reese has been a big upgrade coming in at right guard. They're looking forward to getting Ethan White back, a uh, true sophomore who played a lot in the Orange Bowl last year. He's a guy that could come in and probably play all three interior spots. So you pair that with a veteran in Stuart Reese from Mississippi State, the grad transfer. Brett Heggie, who's really taken over and done a good job at center. And suddenly you've got a really damn good looking interior at that point. Tackle play has been hit or miss depending on which guy you look at. But at the end of the day, the interior can create so much for you. And Kyle Trask can get the ball out so quickly that they're all right if the tackle play isn't perfect. Unfortunately, when you come to that, and, we're, and we'll just go really, really quick on this, it does lead to problems with the running offense. And I do wonder, is that inside or outside the Gators rank six in total rushing yards? Demetrius, you know, when you look at Damian Pierce, uh, when you look at the rest of the run game, there's only one player over 100 rushing yards in two games. Is that any concern going into this upcoming weekend? It's it's a it's a little bit of a concern, but at the same time, it's not. If that makes any sense, last week they got away from from the running game very quickly and probably prematurely. I think me and Zach both agree on that one. They they ran Damian Pierce only nine times, six times in the first half, three times in the second half, and that in the second half they had a sizable lead. I believe it was thirty eight to seventeen at at, at one point, mm-hmm. and so. It, it, it's more of the fact, or are they going to stick with this? Because it was working. Damian Pierce, I believe he had nine rushes for 55 yards or something around that. And he, if you're going to have a bell cow back like him, a bruiser, a guy that can take over the game when you need him to, 
that's what you have to get out of him. You have to use him in that way so that he can turn those yards and chew up that clock. Because at the end of the day, all you're trying to do is get off the field with a win. So if, 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 if you're going to have a lead, you need to run the football. And I think that they've, they've shown that they can, it's just a matter of, are they going to do it consistently? I think when you really look about this team right now, they are still averaging 5.2 yards per carry. That is an astounding number as you go into the weekend. Let's play a little bit of buy or sell. There's a lot of storylines to cover this upcoming week as the Gators travel the few 500 miles all the way to College Station to take on the likes of the number 21 Aggies when kickoff begins at, of course, 11 a.m. early kickoff. But guess what? We're going to be right here with you, right here on Lockdown Gators and Lockdown Aggies. Lockdown Aggies and Lockdown Gators, presented by the Lockdown Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you subscribe to both Lockdown Gators and Lockdown Aggies podcast at uh, on iTunes, Spotify, and of course, listen live every single day. Every single day, it's a Lockdown Podcast Day at LockdownPodcast.com. Make sure you're following myself at Mr. Cole Thompson, and make sure you're following Demetrius Harvey at Demetrius82 and Zach Goodall at Zach Goodall. Let's play a little bit of buy or sell, guys. This is just about a bunch of storylines that I've been looking up. This, to me, when this game was announced and when it was announced, was the highlight game of the SEC. And I still think you could have fireworks in this upcoming game. So let's play a little bit of buy or sell, all three of us involved. Let's start with the first one. Kyle Trask is easily the leading candidate to be the representative in the SEC for the Heisman. Buy or sell against this AM pass defense? He throws for 400 yards. Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, it's going to depend on, on a lot of factors, but I'm just going to go with sell and not necessarily because of Kyle Trask's play or anything like that. I just think that in this game, Dan Mullen, Brian Johnson, they're going to really want to get off with a hot start in the run game. So I, I just have a feeling that maybe Kyle Trask takes a little bit of a backseat in terms of throwing the ball all all day, and I don't think that they're going to be able to throw against them as well as they did against Ole Miss and against South Carolina. Well, I disagree. I, I honestly think I'm, I'm buying it at this point. It's just it's not anything to discredit that idea because I think that would be the right thing to do. I do think they need to start going towards the run game a little bit more, but like they said, they they know they can pass the ball. They've got 11 receivers that they could get the ball to realistically. Maybe 12 if Jordan Pouncey's ready to play. He just got cleared with his waiver, and he's got some experience playing college football. They're just going to keep doing it because they know they can. It doesn't matter who they're facing. I would buy Kyle Trask for 400 yards against a lot of teams. 684 yards, a 71.8 completion rating going into this third game of the season. However, you do look at what I've seen from Trask thus far, kind of what I've also seen from KJ Costello. He had a big-time game, then he a little bit of regressed. Which Kyle Trask are we going to get? 400 is a lot of yards. I could see him definitely getting 300, but I'm going to go sell on this one as well. Texas A&M's defense has yet to allow a rusher to pass the 100-yard mark on the day on the ground. Buy or sell? Damian Pierce or Malik Davis passes 100 yards on this A&M front seven. Let's go with you, Zach. I'm selling. I don't think either of them do. Now, I could buy them doing it combined because uh, we've we've seen the rushing attack be efficient enough when they're both doing it uh, to where it suggests that they could reach that mark. But I don't buy either of them breaking off from the committee and getting to be the workhorse for the week at this point. You just they got to start feeding the guy that's efficient, and when they're not, when they're only giving him two carries in a quarter where they've got as much as a three score lead. I just can't buy it. 
Yeah, and, and, and I'm honestly the, the exact same way. I, I can't buy that at least one of them is going to get over 100 yards. Like Zach said, maybe combined, I could see it. And, and that's not indictment on um, on them or on tech in terms of how much y- rushing yards that they're going to have combined. It's just a matter of Dan Mullen and them, that they just don't really give the ball to one guy. I mean, they're going to give it to even Naquan Wright a couple times. So it's it's one of those things where it's it's just not – in their offense right now to have a hundred yard rusher, at least from what we one seen. has 5.8 yards per carry one averages 5.3. Neither rusher has gone for over a run longer than 23 yards on the game. I don't see that happening, especially with this defensive line, maybe a few bigger runs, which to me is about nine to 12 yards per run. I see that more likely than anything else, but that's not going to be a consistent level selling that as well. Kellen Mon in a Two games, has four turnovers, one interception, three fumbles. Buy or sell, Mon continues the streak with at least two turnovers per game. Let's start with you, Demetrius. Two turnovers per game. I mean, the the Gators' defense honestly hasn't been very good at uh, getting turnovers. I believe they have one fumble recovery and one interception. And the interception was a freshman defensive tackle that hasn't really played very much. So, for to me, this could be the game that Kellen Mon doesn't throw an interception or fumble the football. I, I guess we'll have to find out in terms of how how well he is at controlling the at controlling the ball himself. But at the end of the day, it's it's going to come down to the Gators' defense and how much of an emphasis they put on getting their hands on the football. So I'm just going to sell it and say that he doesn't do it this year. This Cole, week. Cole, go ahead and give me the context as to what the fumbles were. Were they him rushing or was he in the pocket? So two were on the run. One was him backing upwards so he was it wasn't a sack but it also was because he was moving forward at that point it was a fumble so all three have been on rushing plays where he's been under pressure or outside the pocket i mean florida really couldn't contain matt corral in week one we couldn't see i mean we didn't see the same type of mobility out of colin hill just not the same type of guy um and as long as mond is smart with the football uh because he knows that he's probably going to have a lot of tackles end up being missed because Florida is one of the single single handedly one of the worst, if not the worst team in the SEC in terms of missing tackles. So as long as he's creative, but can maintain like, you know, knowing where he needs to slide down with the ball or get out of bounds. I don't see them forcing the pressure in order to make him throw errant passes too much. Pressure is pressure. That's something that you don't see a lot of. However, what I will say is once again, Florida's defense, when they do get pressure in the backfield, it usually comes down with either a stack or a forced fumble. I don't see them having it. I'm going to sell this one as well. Kyle Pitts is the number one tight end in the SEC. But another name emerging is Jalen Weidemeyer, the sophomore tight end for Texas A&M out of Dickinson, Texas. Buy or sell, Weidemeyer actually has a better game than Pitts going into this. Zach, let's start with you. I'm absolutely selling. However, I'm absolutely buying stock in Jalen Weidermeyer this week. I think he's going to torch the guys that they've had at the second level of the defense. I mean, he doesn't seem to be the most explosive playmaker in comparison to Trask, but he seems like an efficient guy that can consistently churn out yards. And if he's running short to intermediate routes, again, I'm not trusting Amari Bernie at this point. And I don't know if I'm trusting uh, Marco Wilson. I'm curious to see exactly what they'll do because they have had Marco shadowing the number one guy usually playing in the slot. So it's going to be an interesting personnel matchup. I am buying the uh, idea of him having a good game, but I don't think I'd bet on any tight end to outproduce Kyle Pitts. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Zach there because at the end of the day, you're not going to have a guy like Kyle Pitts 
not be dominant. I, I just have a feeling that if, if anything, they're going to go through Kyle Pitts during this game, and, and, and he's going to be the guy who's going to get that maybe 150-yard, maybe two touchdowns. It, 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 it's kind of insane. He, he had mm-hmm. six straight quarters with a touchdown, and everybody was surprised that he didn't have the other two with a touchdown, and, and that's <laughs> what kind of dominant performance he's been having this season. So I'm going to buy that Kyle Pitts will have a better game. I am I am a betting man. I've always been a betting man, and I'm buying the hype that Jalen Weidermeyer is going to torch the likes of the Florida secondary. Their safeties have been so bad on different plays. I would love to see him have a good game. I've said this for the last two and a half weeks. Go to Jalen Weidermeyer and watch success happen. This is a now prove-it game for the likes of Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies for 2020. You have to go with what you know, and what you know is Jalen Weidemeyer is freaking good. Buy or sell, final one of the day. Is this game going to live up to the preseason hype of this being a promising matchup between two teams that eventually could find their way in Atlanta come December? I would say buy except for the fact that there's going to be a lot of rain. I just <laughs> I just know that there's going to be that that hurricane coming and there's going to be a lot of rain. It's going to be a sloppy one. I, that, that that's that's my thoughts on it. Um otherwise I feel as though this would be the matchup of the year in terms of the the SEC. They put it there for a reason. They put it on the schedule for a reason. It, it it's going to be a premier game. Uh, everybody is going to be excited about it. It's going to be the the most anticipated game of Florida's young season. Obviously, Texas A&M already played Alabama, so that was probably a little bit more hype. But at the same time, you got to just look at Florida, Texas A&M. That's always a, that's always going to be a good one, and uh, I'm buying the hype in terms of how impressive this game can be. But we'll see how it is if there's rain and if it makes it sloppy. Yeah, I'm buying for all the same reasons as Demetrius. I don't even think I need to go on too much longer. However, ESPN and the 12 o'clock kickoff disagree with us. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the case. Here's what I really look at, what I break it down to, is basically Dan Mullen and Jim Fisher were hired in the same year. They both came in to be predominantly top-level coaches in the SEC. And since joining the SEC, both who have records of being in the SEC, one at Mississippi State, one at LSU, respectively, Mullen is 23-5, and Jimbo Fisher is 18-10. and that's not what you want from a guy who you're paying $7.5 million. So I'm buying the hype because I have to buy the hype. You have to buy this hype. If you cover Texas A&M, if you are an A&M fan, if you're a member of the 12th fan, you have to buy this hype because you're paying a man $7.5 million guaranteed. He could go 0-10 and he's still getting $7.5 million. You have to buy the hype. Before we get on out of here, guys, let me get one player all Aggie fans should know going into Saturday. Please make him different. I'm going to go with uh, Ventrell Miller. He's been one of their most dominant players on defense. And, and honestly, throughout the first two weeks, he's been kind of the leader on their defense. And, and if he has a good game, if he plays to up to his standard and up to Todd Grantham's standard, then he's going to be dominant, a dominant player against a guy like Kellen Mond who's going to get out of the pocket and he's going to have to chase him down. I'm going Kadarius Tony, and I know that he's a really well-known guy, but you know, if, especially if it is raining, they are going to have to depend on short, quick passes where you know he's not going to test downfield too much. And boy, have we seen Kadarius Tony improve as a route runner, especially underneath like that slot. I mean, the touchdown we were talking about earlier, where he had the five guys that he didn't end up, um, where he was able to break free of all five of those guys. 
I was more impressed by the route at the beginning where he broke into the underneath crosser and was just wide open. Kyle Trask can take that all day, especially if Kyle Pitts is being doubled and bracketed throughout the game. That'll be easy. It'll be a pitch and catch, and then they can also flex him into the backfield and run jet sweeps and stuff with him. They can get creative with him should Texas A&M do a good job of taking Kyle Pitts away. Tony suddenly becomes the number one guy. If it is going to be raining all day on Saturday, A&M fans, Florida fans, you better know who Agent Zero is, and that is Anaya Smith. This is a running back who can play a lot of wide receiver sets in the slot. And with those short passes, this was a guy who once again was very successful against Alabama. He had two touchdowns, both receiving from the likes of Kellen Mond of his three. He also scored an opening touchdown on a option play against Vanderbilt. The only touchdown scored by A&M on their opening weekend. Agent Zero has been nothing short of impressive. He is, in my opinion, the top weapon, not just wide receiver, not just running back weapon, and can make defenders miss the open field. With the way the secondary has been playing for Florida, I have to see this guy be someone who is the change of pace runner that matches Isaiah Spiller's burly running style and making defenders miss the open field. Let's get this going. Demetrius, game on the line. What is your score prediction? I'll go 35 to 28 Gators. So I like it. What about you, Zach? Yeah, the spread's at seven right now with an over-under of 57. I'm thinking something pretty close as well. I think Texas A&M ends up covering. Um, I could see an Evan McPherson field goal. I'll go 31 to 27. All right, I like it. Close games. Here's something that neither one of you said. Anyone who knows me knows that I grew up in Texas and knows that I have seen my fair share of Big 12 football. And because of that, the Big 12 will return to College Station this upcoming weekend. This is going to be a high-scoring game. Even in the rain, defenders are going to be missing left and right. I have... The Gators, unfortunately, winning this game. I can't pick against them right now. The way that I've seen Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts work together, that Kyle combo is one of the most dangerous in the SEC. But I do think this is a high-scoring game. This is going to be a game where you do see Kellen Mond throw for the likes of 400-plus yards. This is a game where I think you see Kyle Trask have five touchdowns on the day. This is a game where I think that you see less and less mistakes from the offensive side of the ball and a lot of the defensive side of the ball. Ultimately, Dan Mullen gets the win over the likes of Jimbo Fisher and the Ags, even though it is a home game. I'm going to go 45-41 being the final score of this game. Big, big game. A&M covers the spread. Unfortunately, they do not get the win. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies and Locked on Gators. Make sure you're following all of us on social media, at Locked on Gators, at Mr. Cole Thompson, at Locked on Aggies, at Zach Goodall, underscore Zach Goodall, at was it, you, it you, you were you were close. Yeah, it's Zach Demetrius underscore Goodall and Demetrius82. Demetrius82, there we go. Make sure you're also subscribed to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. If you can't do any of that, listen live every single day. Every single day is a Locked On Gators and Locked On Aggies podcast kind of day. We are out of here. I will see you all on Monday, breaking down the highs, the lows, and what really could be a game that was needed to be won by Jimbo Fisher or a game that was won. Finally, the 12th man is back on track to be the successful team that was hired three years ago. We will see you Monday to break everything down. And remember, this has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.